Good evening, everyone. Did they bow for us? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> Good evening. It's great to see everyone here tonight. Thanks so much. And um, I'm delighted to welcome you uh, to the uh, Gold International Arts Festival's Vinyl Hours. I'm Tiernan Henry, and I'm the host of this series of informal conversations and chats about music that we've been doing every for, for the last couple of years. And, and the whole point about this is that we have, uh, we, we talk to people who are involved in the arts or just people in the public or people who are well known, but essentially people who we know like music or have really interesting taste in music. And we take them maybe through a soundtrack of their lives or get some sort of sense of what music means to them and the songs maybe that mean things to them. And Tom Waits reckons that um, songs are really just interesting things to be doing with the air. And we think talking about the songs isn't too bad either. And in the words of one of the bands we'll be talking about tonight, it is all bravado. That's what we're up to here. And, you know, for later, this has been recorded for, uh, for the podcast. So you'll be able to listen to the full playlist on Galway International Arts Festival Spotify page. And if you like what you hear, please consider making a donation to Galway International Arts Festival, a non-profit organisation bringing the arts to people in Ireland and around the world. Go to giaf.ie and click donate. Tonight's guest, I am delighted to say, is Brian Kerr. And what can we say about him? He's a true blue dub, born in Drimna. He's been around football his entire life, started coaching with Crumlin United at age 13. He went on to manage, co-manage Drogheda, Pats, the Irish team, of course, at under 16, 18 and under 20 level, as well as the senior team. And of course, he famously managed the Faroe Islands, where he said that the granny rule isn't much help. <laughs> in putting his squad together. He's a commentator, he's an, an analyst on TV and radio, and he was in Sligo last night, unfortunately, uh, watching Pats lose. Um, but for today, we'll move on from that. For today, we're here to talk about some of the songs and the tunes and the music that moves them. So please, welcome Brian Kerr. So Brian, it's, it's, it's a joy to have you here and to um, get you to reduce your life to a series of seven or eight songs. <laughs> uh, well, that's tough. But the first thing I have to say is thanks for having me. I'm totally out of my comfort zone being involved in the Galway Arts Festival <laughs> or any arts festival. There's not many arts festivals around where I live, I can tell you. Although there used to be good shows on down in the, the hall on Morden Road at times so that we we've been trying to sneak into. But it's... Uh, Thank, thanks very much for inviting me down and getting me the uh, opportunity to do this. Although it's it's very very difficult to um, to pull together just you know six or seven. I think you yeah. let me go to eight songs, yeah. but nonetheless, I think all of them ha the songs that I've chosen have uh, there's some little story attached to them that I probably like to tell more than anything else. So there we go. Great. So we'll get started. And Brian's first choice is from 1985, and Christy Moore released his tenth album then, and it was named that the album was named for a song written by Peter Hames, who was from Grimsby. Um, but of course, the song is completely and utterly associated with Christy. So we'll listen to a bit of this to start. So ordinary man, Christy Moore. Um, Tell us about this. Well, why, why I went for that song is because. Um, for, for a few reasons, but one of them was coming to Galway, and my best kind of 
friend and life and kind of, I suppose, what do you call it, buddy is it? I don't like that word, fellas say, how are you buddy? And it's, you go, Jesus, don't care. Another one is fellas say, how are you pal? And I go, go pal is the dog, don't. But anyway, buddy, <laughs> I got distracted by buddy. And I said, anyway, Noel O'Reilly was my best mate in football. He was a great, very, very special coach and special person. But Noel was in Galway coaching. Um, I think there's someone in the audience might have been here that same weekend uh, and, he, and he got sick and unfortunately died in the week after that. But Noel O'Reilly, not only did he sing all Christy Moore's songs, but he looked more and more like Christy's song as every day went by in his life. But he sang Christy Hansey and um, Bob Dylan and he could sing you ticket. He would sing anything from any era. But Christy Moore was his favourite. And that song I taught him anyways, I mean... If it's the biggest song that suited Noel, I would have said um, maybe Christy Hennessy singing I'm a Star, which you would probably know as well. I thought that suited him best because it was about a bloke who was, you know, he's mm. singing about himself, it was autobiographical, singing about his life and being on the stage and no one been here or not many been here and, and, and getting ending up in the big, in the big theatres. Well, Noel O'Reilly's life as a coach was a bit that way, unappreciated for a long time. And then suddenly we started winning tournaments all around Europe and, you know, on the international team and it was, it, it was fantastic. Fantastic, but he, um, he, he. It, 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 well, when I heard the tune just earlier, as we were getting mic'd up, just another story about Noel, Noel coming into my head that I, felt I had to tell. And was after he died, um, we a friend of mine, Brian McCarthy, who was the video analyst with the Irish international team, and a brilliant bloke, and he put this. Uh, kind of montage of Noel's coaching life together, bits of film, bits of video, and bits of Noel coaching other coaches. And at one stage, he shows a room where all the coaches are sitting with paper hats on their heads that he had asked them on the course to make paper hats as part of the task on the course. And they're all these were mature blokes now, sitting with paper hats on their head. And Noel is kind of pointing out that some of them are not quite right. And, and he's, he's kind of lecturing to them about coaching and why they have, anyway, that was one part of it, but he was showing Noel coaching in Japan with no interpreter, and Noel coaching in lots of places. And his, his um, the detail and the enthusiasm and all that. Anyway, the, the stuff was put together, and the backing tracks were Christy Moore and Christy Hennessy, and we were selling it for a tenner for um, the Stony Ireland, which was the, the, the thing that got him in the in, in the end. It was a neurological thing that got him in the throat. He, he was actually in the doctors at the time he had the attack, but having done the three days coaching in Galway. And, and uh, so I, I said, after I heard this thing, I said, we can't put this out and charge a tenner for it. Christy Moore will have us in the courts. I better do something about it. So I, I wrote to the, whoever the label was of Polydor or whoever, and I said, look, can you get Christy to get in touch with me? I need to run something by him. Mm -hmm. So Christy Moore rings me. Right now, like I like Christy Muir, and I've been at loads of gigs, but I can't say I know him. I knew his sister, I know Eilish, and his, his brother in law, Peter Bourne, Drimna, and all that. But I didn't. So Christy rings me, he says, How are you, Brian? I said, How, how are you? He says, Is Christy Muir here? He said, uh, I don't watch a lot of television, but uh, I watched that, watch that documentary of you in the Pharaohs, right? And they did this documentary when I was in the Faroes and they dropped me out of a helicopter on the highest point of the Faroe Islands and got me just to walk. It was like the idea was walking in the wilderness kind of thing in a strange place and it was strange. But I was, 
I was kind of like, oh, I was excited by it. And I started actually running until I got to the edge. Like, and the next step was the Atlantic was about 2,000 feet below. But I stopped. Anyway, Christy said, I wouldn't be going walking with you, he says. <laughs> <laughs> but he said it was, a great, it was a great film. And so I explained the story about Noel to him. And he said, batter away and tell no one yeah. and you'd be grand yeah. and we put it out we made a few quid for the organisation yeah. so there you go Galway yeah. Christy Noel and you know there's I think a couple of people in the audience I spotted who would have known the, known the person yeah. and how great a person he was a, he was, a, he was a, a person of the world he wasn't a person of Galway he was a person the last story I'll tell you about him was when we went away with teams we would generally um, either the last night, nearly every night, we would have a bit of a sing-song in the local uh, establishment that we could find that would sell us drinks until it was a reasonable hour. But Noel always brought the guitar. But we used to invite the coaches the other teams. Now, with international football, this wouldn't be generally be, be the done thing. But we always did that. We'd always invite them. And Noel's challenge to himself would always be, could he sing a song from, whenever, from every country that was at the tournament? Right, so we remember one night we, we, we were stuck in we were in Israel and he managed to get through one he got them all and then he'd been looking a bit puzzled and I said what's wrong with you he said I'm struggling on the Belgian one <laughs> right I said go on he said uh, do you think I'll get away with the singing none Nick and Keith and then and I said yeah, just give it a go I'm sure they'll all join in if they know it anyway and he lashed away on some it was uh, the singing none and that was Nullig. So whether it was Galway, whether it was uh, Netanya in Israel or Tel Aviv or St. Petersburg or wherever we happened to be, yeah. it was always music yeah. and songs and Christy Moore. And I suppose as well, like, like in the, the sort of 60s and the 70s, like until relatively recently, we wouldn't have seen much by way of international bands or anything touring. Do you know, like like big bands didn't come here. You'd read about them, oh, like so-and-so was playing in London or wherever. Yeah. But we did have a few, like there was Horse Lips and obviously Van Morrison, but he was a, a funnier, you know, he was still in America. But the one we all... It was Brendan Boyer. Well, yeah, Brendan Boyer was on the go. <laughs> but the one, because I remember, because like we all went to see it, was Rory Gallagher. Everyone went to see Rory Gallagher at some point growing up. Yeah. And your next choice is a Rory Gallagher song, but it's not like what most people would necessarily like go straight away for, for um, like you haven't gone for rocking. Well, it's rocking, but it's no. quieter rocking, you know? Well, I, I, I tried to get to the Rory Festival in Ballyshannon when right. it's on. Obviously, it was knocked on the head last year. I, I got to go the previous year and I've got to go. Cause I have my complaint about it. Barry O'Neill runs at Yorks and RTA. Um, my complaint with it is it's always on the on the international weekend, football weekend, and <laughs> I think it's the September one it is. But anyway, it's a great festival if you like Rory Gallagher music. Um, I got into Rory Gallagher by uh, I was managing a team, a Crumb United team, and I remember we were training on a Tuesday and I said to the players on whatever Sunday, I said, try and choose a nightmare. And one of the players said to me, I won't be there. And I said, why? What's wrong? I said, he said, I'm going to see Rory Gallagher. And I said, right. Now I'd heard about Rory Gallagher. I'd probably heard it. He said, all right. I said, right, that must be a bit serious. So I said, right, we go training earlier and you can come to train. And we train at six instead yeah. of half seven. And I went myself somehow. I think I moved the ticket off the late great Ollie Bourne, who was later the chairman of Shelbourne. I think Ollie might have been the promoter. If it wasn't Peter Reagan, 
um, or Jim Aiken, Peter, Peter's father, Jim might have been running it. But I managed to get myself in, and it, 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 I'll say it changed my life. But if there was someone that I ever saw um, in life other than a footballer that I wanted to, to be, yeah. it would have been Rory Gallagher. But, you know, that's a bit mad now. No. Like, he wasn't Nelson Mandela, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was just the raw excitement of him, the humility of him. Like yeah. he come out on the stage and he played here, he played in Cork, played in and it was just electric. It was electric guitar, it was electric him, and it was just humility. It was like I'm almost embarrassed to be here. I know you have come to see me. Thank you very much, and I'm going to give it a blast. Yeah. And I won't say much more for the next three hours, <laughs> but by God, will I play tunes. And every time I went to see him, it was like that. I saw him in the car, and I saw him in the stadium. I saw him, the, I saw him in a couple of outdoor ones in Punchestown. Every time, it was just yeah. absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Should we give it a go? This is, um, this is As the Crow Flies, and this is from... I, the one I picked was from the Irish tour 74, the live album 74. Great. Something else. Well, I, apart from seeing them and seeing the gigs and the various films that were made, and I was at one of those, that gig was in the, I think it was a compilation from um, the Carlton Cinema, Cork, yeah. the, it was the Opera House in Cork and maybe Belfast yeah. that, that, that was made into a film I was at the Carlton one right. anyway didn't see myself in the film <laughs> it was good enough but I saw him once in London um, I think in the late 80s I was walking uh, along the street it's, it's actually there's a, a, few, a few shops that sell guitars I forgot what the shop the name of the street is but I saw him and I was I, I wanted to touch yeah. Touch him and kind of go, but I was afraid. I was afraid to say it, and I was just stunned. But I've, since I've met, uh, it sounds like the start of one of his songs. Since I met you, so he, I, I have met uh, some of his his family, and I met Donald on a plane. I think on the way to a match one time, and I was, I just, he, he, he was very pleasant to me, and yeah. you know, he knew that I had a, a bit of an interest yeah. and. So on, but I, I just, I mean, it was, he was only 47 when he died, Rory, in 1995. It was an awful, awful tragedy, but at least the music, and they're still finding some of his music, yeah. which is great. His, um, his nephew has pulled out some stuff and tapes. They've uh, reissued some old albums, but also some stuff that was never recorded or never released, yeah. and it's just brilliant. I've listened to it, and it's, it's just brilliant. But uh, that was the, the weekends in Ballyshannon are, are to be recommended, I'd yeah. say. Um, before we go, I just want to, do you play anything? Like, did you ever, were you ever no. interested? I mean, no. I know. No, absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah. I can't sing, I can barely whistle, I can't ever play the spoons and all. And it's gas in my family. Um, my... My uncle, my, my dad had, uh, dad's seven brothers, was eight, eight, eight cares, eight, eight uh, male cares in the family. And and two of them were, uh, one of them, Dan Care, he lived in in, in um, Clondalk initially, and then he went to, to Clayton. Dan sang and used to be on television programmes on old um, RTE um, programmes, uh, like... Talent competitions yeah. and used to win and get yeah. or get to the finals yeah. and, so and he but he made guitars from the start like a bloke could give him the bit of wood yeah. and he bought it away and he made and he made guitars for 
famous guitarists like John Williams, he, yeah. he made guitar. And my uncle Gerald in England went into the same carry on. And right. he was he used to be an RAF fighter pilot, but he they had this gift. But as regards me, absolutely have it. And as regards music, you know, I I, I wouldn't be great on the on. Um, on explaining the whole thing, yeah. or on the depth of it, but I, I I I appreciate lots of different types of music and sorts of music, and I'm not brilliant on on the words and words as on, but I admire the wordsmiths. I admire like you know Billy Bragg and people like that who I consider as wordsmiths and and who who fold issues in yeah. around words around issues and can and make it into a proper tune. Yeah. I like that tune as well. Now yeah. what's it about? All right, it's about it's about uh, it's it's about the minor strikes and whatever. But so no, haven't no 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 use. Absolutely no use. <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing. And because it, it, what I think is really interesting is your your next choice is is a complete switch, and this is the one like kind of referenced it in the introduction. Um, this is for a band from Glasgow, and it's from their debut album, and they have they've made I think four albums since 1984, and it's, as was mentioned earlier, um, Galway International Arts Festival might have killed their career at some point, <laughs> but it's the Blue Nile, and um, the song you've picked is Tinseltown in the Rain, and um, we listened to a bit of it, and if you've never heard the Blue Nile, please go. And I don't think to the anyone Nile. hasn't heard the Blue Nile now. Well, I mean, yeah. there's lots of RTE DJs yeah. are still yeah. playing yeah. it, regularly playing. It's yeah. amazing. But like, this uh, this track in particular, is, yeah. you know, we just listened to a bit of it anyway. You can sing, Brian. What a song! Yeah, what, what a, a singer song. as well. I mean, no. uh, yeah, Paul Buchanan. Yeah. Many stories. Uh, I just love the song, and you know, I actually when I managed the Irish team, and I used to play that in the room for myself. And before we, I go to the matches, yeah. I used to play it kind of to inspire me. The words of it are, are really kind of interesting. It's hard to tell what they're about. There's obviously love stories in there, but I used to love the bit where, as you said, I'm caught up in this big rhythm, yeah. and the way he says rhythm, and that was the way it was. I was caught up in this big rhythm, dealing, dealing with the media, dealing with the managers, dealing with the players, dealing with the game, and all I wanted to do was get into that dressing room, get those players playing and sh you know, get it sorted that we could win the game. But there was a whole other big thing going on out there that there was a rhythm about yeah. it. But the, the, the key bit was having it right about yeah. the match and the tactics. Anyway, so Paul Buchanan, um, so that album is uh, Walk Across the Rooftops, yeah. which is the first song, right? The second album is Hats and then it's High. As far as you said, there was four albums in 22 years. And, you know, why, why they didn't keep going or they're not still going, it's just, it, it's hard to understand because they never fell out. I mean, Paul Buchanan said he thought it was for life. Um, Robert Bell and PJ Moore were the other two blo blokes. And PJ Moore just went missing, I mm. think, about 15 years ago and didn't yeah. turn up again. And there was no, he didn't get in touch with them. But the others, Paul Buchanan played in, in Vicar Street in... 2008, I think it was, and he played here. And interestingly, I was in the hotel today and it clicked with me that the last gig that the Blue Nile ever played was in the Radisson, which yeah. now has a fancier name called the, the Galmoth yeah. Hotel. So I remember reading um, a book on the Blue Nile and there was a story in it about the last gig that he, Paul Buchanan told the story. He he was going down to 
play the gig in the ballroom and he got stuck in the glass lift in that hotel and I was going down the glass lift last night and stopped for a while and I said Jeepers am I Paul Buchanan <laughs> would they be looking in at me saying look at your man and oh Jesus look at your man and we were all sitting drinking I came back from Sligo last night at half eleven went down to try and get a drink and I knew I was under pressure that it was part of 12 and yeah. I wouldn't get one and I'm going how did this work out for mm. me uh, but, but it only st- it only stuttered. It kept going. But I thought of Bob Buchanan. Can you imagine you were the star of the band and you're stuck in the lift and they're all looking in at you going, look at him. Is he going to make it? But he also, he told the story and you, you uh, John Crumlish, amazingly told me that you were there that night, that after it, he was sitting with some of the fans talking about the gig and the music and the albums and how much it And he discovered that the crowd he was sitting around with were a gang of fellas out of the IRA and a gang of fellas out of the UDF or the U, U, UDF yeah. from the north who would all come down separately to see the blue Oil. So he had managed to bond <laughs> green, <laughs> the green and blue together on the Paul Buchanan sitting among them talking about songs from the blue Oil. So the only other story I have about him, well, now I have two quick ones. I... Uh, the, the night they played in the in the Vicar Street, one of the, the lads that does the door there, big Derek McGuinness, a lovely, great friend of mine, and Derek said to me, you like this, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, would you like to meet them after? I said, Derek, oh, would you? He said, come on, come on, come on. He said, you're always, you're always a bit, you don't want to. I said, okay. So I went around, brought me into the, the green room, whatever, you know. I know he wasn't trying to make any fuss and I was sitting there, but I couldn't resist. I had to go over to your man and say, look, I just think your stuff is incredible and I love your music and blah, blah, blah. And he said to me, he said, you're that soccer guy, aren't you? And I went, well, you know, I'm a soccer guy. If someone must have tipped him off that I was involved in soccer. But I was kind of made up with myself yeah. at the same time. Yeah. But his personality and his, again, his, his, uh, it was a bit shyness. It was a humility. There was a, it was an enigmatic person nearly, I'd say, yeah. there as well. And then I saw him uh, playing at the, at the Electric Picnic, playing solo a few years ago in an outdoor place down in the field about about three miles, I'd say, from where the main stage mm. was late on a Sunday night. And he was fabulous just playing his own. Yeah. His album was... A, he, he, just, he made an album, album eventually, yeah. and it was yeah. beautiful, yeah. 14, yeah. beautiful, gentle, soft, lovely. Yeah. Song. Anyway, so there's the Blue yeah. Nile. I just, it, it, it's, um, yeah, it's like the song, I think it was a Lonnie Donegan song, was it? Chewing doesn't lose its flavour on the bedpost overnight. overnight. Yeah. Those songs yeah. don't lose Blue Nile doesn't, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. And like from the same era then, I mean, do you, do you know, it's, it's, it's from 1984, in fact, it was you two were making uh, what was going to become The Unforgettable Fire. And it was a, a, a different album for them. You know, they'd sort of done the Boy in October thing and got to a level and more had taken them to another place. And well, this one was going to be the well, one... Are you going to play it before I talk about it? T- whatever suits you, Brian. Well, Every- what I would say to you about U2 is, like, it's not... It's not chic or cool to yeah. like you too, kind of the way. But I love you too. Yeah. No problem. I actually got I in Lansdowne Road, as I still call it Lansdowne Road. We think it probably annoys a few people. If you're in the insurance business, it probably annoys. I still call it Lansdowne. It was always Lansdowne to me. That's where the rugby was played. But I um, 
I got the tunes changed before the matches when right. I went to manage yeah. the Irish team. I had a bit of an influence and didn't play any Rowdy Gallagher. We're going to the Aslan <laughs> song in and I probably got a Christy Moore song in and I certainly got Philip Linnett in and I would have got you two songs yeah. in there and Paul Brady and whatever. Stuff that I like myself, but folks I thought people coming into the ground, get away from the old Kamalia stuff and let's have a bit of this. But I could have picked any number of you two songs I love. And when I was thinking about it first, John asked you about doing it and we talked, I was thinking about 11 o'clock TikTok because I love that yeah. song off the first yeah. album, 11 o'clock TikTok and, uh, and uh, the, 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 you know, the, the potential and the, the, the power and it was almost punk at the time and I will follow and stuff like that. But, you know, so I went for bad in the end and if... You want to play a bit can of it? play a bit of it, yeah. Yeah. Play this, yeah. yeah no. Jeepers. Oh, no, I had a bit of a Mark Bowling at one time. I had the hair, right. a bit of the fuzzy do and the locks at one stage I had. But no, I was never into punk, but but I I, I mean I admired the punk, yeah. I admired the the difference of it and the madness of it. So I didn't always love the music. But uh So would you have gone to see them like in the dance oh, line yeah. or anything? No, the dandelion, that stuff usually on Saturday. Saturday was football uh, day, yeah. Sunday, Saturday, Sunday yeah. were sports days yeah, for me. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. But I was well aware of it, and uh, when it's starting to happen, I, I, you know, I, I start. Look, I can remember one of the first gigs that I saw them. I, like, I kind of the last gig, the first gig is probably the most memorable. The first one, I was working in UCD. I used to have a real job. I worked in UCD as a, as a lab technician at one time, and I remember it, it was the Christmas party, day of the Christmas party, and somehow I'd managed to, I'd got a couple of tickets for you too. But the party, the day of the party in UCD, I used to organise um, this, I used to like to punish everyone before we had the party. We used to have it, it was about a five, it was a five mile road run around Belfield, <laughs> and everyone that walked in our building, I walked in the Faculty of Agriculture, I believe it or not, the Dubaks and walked in the Faculty, but anyway, I, I, like myself and a couple of other people used to organise this run, it was a team road race and no matter what age you were and what what ability or fitness yeah. was you had to get around the five miles but it was a handicapped race so people who did nothing all any year in their life got a kind of a 15 minute handicap <laughs> on the likes of me who at that time was fit enough I could run a bit yeah. and it was as I said it was it was the best team based on it was 10 or 12 people and we used to give out Christmas I used to give talkies as the winning team and so. but then we turned it into a fancy dress team it was mad, mad stuff but it was a great preparation for a day on the gargle and having a party right and that went on around Belfield for a good few years but anyway I remember this week like, we'd had the thing and the party was going on Saturday night I said mate of mine I said look I have two tickets for this band you two they're on tonight do you want to come with me and I was driving now I didn't I was very abstemious so I didn't have that much to drink and I had a old Reynolds 16 and the gig was in the SFX right yeah right, as we'd have known as the we went to the pantomime in it I think one time it was this Francis Xavier Hall it was yeah. called but then it became posh it was the SFX when gigs were in it. Yeah. It was only about, I'd say it was about 800 people to 1,000 in it. Mm. I think it was the first time they'd been in America and they came back. But on the way down, I remember driving through Renly and I got a puncher, a bad puncher. And I got out and there was no way I was going to be able to find everything, the bits and pieces to get it back together. So I remember in my wisdom, there was a guard walking along the road across the other side of the road and I went over the guard and I said, look, you do us a favour, would you shine your lamp on, on the nuts here yeah. while I try to? And he, he did what he was told and he duly held 
helped me to get the bits out and we got it up and away we went, we battered down to, to and it was a fabulous gig and I was, you know, I, I'd heard about the other gigs. I don't know if have seen them before that, but it was just a yeah. fabulous small toy hall. Yeah. Band were brilliant, yeah. full on. He was only a young fella, and Bono uh, and and battered away. It was brilliant. And one of the best ones after that I ever saw them, I seen the Crow Park ones and all that. We do one of the best matches I had as manager in Ireland. We beat. Um, we we it, it doesn't get a lot of attention, but for me it was very important. We played. Uh, we played. The, the the full name is the Netherlands. They used to be called Holland at one time, but we call them the Netherlands now. We are told on RTE or Virgin Media to call them Netherlands. So so we we I'd always measured us by how do we do against France? How do you do against yeah. not Netherlands? How do you do against Portugal and Spain? That was the way I always operated with the underage and the senior team. Anyway, we were away to them, and we won won nothing. And they were going to the European finals in 2004. And uh, we played great. Robbie King got a brilliant goal in the counter-attack. And we, did, we had a lot of young fellas playing. There was fellas getting pulled out all over the place. Because we had four matches in about eight or nine days. The FAI stuck with me with extra matches. I only wanted two. And they gave me four because there was money in them. And we lost one of them. We lost to Nigeria and London. But we won the others, Romania, Jamaica. But the last one was in, in Netherlands. They had a really good side. And we won one nothing. Mm. And we were great. The place was, it was a party for them going to the finals and we burst the bubble. Yeah. We won the match and we played brilliantly. And um, uh, Robbie just, it was a brilliant goal. I can still see it. Andy Reid running away. It was a counter-attack from a corner and Andy dribbling away. Alan Mabry played him and he put, Robbie had a lot to do. But anyway, I could see the Irish go up behind the goal and the celebration. So the stadium always had a bit of something for me. And a few years ago, I happened to be going to Amsterdam for something around, a bit of stuff, uh, something else I was doing, and uh, they were playing there yeah. in that stadium, in the Ajax Stadium. And there's something about seeing, like, it's like an Irish team playing away. <laughs> Only <laughs> I wasn't in among the supporters, yeah. I was the manager. Yeah. So you don't, get to, you don't get to do the whole madness thing after the goal is scored, because yeah. you're on the touch on you, go, I'm going, Jesus, the other show I might score next few minutes, don't show too much emotion. You know, yeah. That's the way I used to be. I'd be like... Jesus, that's great, he scored. Don't <laughs> Keep it cool. Yeah, that was more me until yeah. the last minute we, we got the tour and our fourth goal. Yeah. But so, where's this crowd? Can I, so, when you two were playing, I was like, and we're away from home here and we're on a winner. It was just like whatever it was, 50 or 60,000 people oh, just loving this yeah. band, in adoration of this band. And you're going, yeah, have a bit of this. This is one yeah. of our gang here, and look at the world, and and, and just how they handle the whole thing, yeah. and the the whole stage, and the setup, and the empathy with different. Yeah, you might pour fun. Uh, a lot of people pour scorn at it. I don't. Yeah. I think they're right. I yeah. think he's right to take they're on genuine. the issues. Yeah, they are and genuine. I think if yeah. you can have an influence yeah. on on world affairs and attitudes and governments and you know G seven and whatever, if you can have influence on that, why not throw throw yeah. your 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 tuppence in? Yeah. So that's how I see it. But um, so yeah, you too. Any any day, I'll have a bit of you too. Beautiful day before the football starts yeah. when ITV used to use that. I used to love that that tune. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And then your next choice is a complete, it's like it's a, it's a complete, like a right footer playing on the left wing, curling the ball in. <laughs> you know, it's all the, this, it's all the fashion now. This is, this, it's Robert Miles. You know, yeah. And um, 
So it, but the, the song is children, so we'll play a bit of it in just a minute. But why, like, where does, where well, does this come? Okay, Robert Miles is, uh, was a bloke. I mean, you, you, if you're not familiar with the tune, when you hear a little yeah. bit, you'll go, oh, God, I remember that. It was number one in 12 countries in 1996, right? He's a Belgian DJ, um instrumentalist, electronic sort of a bloke. Yeah. I'm not sure what the actual musically terms are for them blokes, but he's a producer sort of fella that could do tricks and twists with yeah. machinery and make nice sounds. So that, those sort of gigs. <laughs> those sort of gigs. You'll hear it in a minute. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, so that's who he was. But the story was, um, we, I was managing St. Patrick's Athletic at the time and we'd had a tough time for a, a few years. We'd, we, we'd been in a liquidation and receivership and uh, we had almost lost our little ground, our lovely little homely ground in Inchicore by the Kamak. It almost went to the, um, into the liquidation, but we managed to save it. And then we managed to get back. We were, we were in, what's the phrase when you're, we were living like re refugees and that's a, a bit, that's a, 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 not making fun. It's, it's, it's not belittling that lifestyle, but we were like that because we were playing out in Hardles Cross in the Greyhound Stadium away from our yeah. home for four years. And it was tough all gone, but we got back to Inchicore where we were from and we, we, we had a bit of success and we were got there. And then we, we, we won the league in Dundalk on a particular night. And I it was remember. right on the Friday night. <laughs> but what happened was, the next day, I was due into RTE in the morning for Saturday Sport with George Hamilton. Actually, it was a half-twelve kick-off. But I was late, because I was late getting out with the pub in Inchicore when I was thrown out <laughs> at half-six in the morning. And uh, I didn't quite know where my keys were, and so on and so on. So I got into RTE late. And everything. But when they started talking to me about previous night in Dundalk, yeah. they showed, they had had a camera on me during the match. And in total contrast to what I told you about earlier, about what celebrations are non when we scored a goal. In Dundalk, when we got the winning goal, with uh, two minutes to go and a free kick, a lad called Paul Campbell, who played for Galway in the cup <laughs> final, when Galway won the cup in 93, he was man of the match in the cup <laughs> final. Soupy, as we knew him, stuck the ball up in the top corner there. And they had a camera on me at that moment. And I went off on a mad dance. My head went, it was all those bastard liquidators, receivers, <laughs> solicitors, all those bankers, everyone who tried to kill us and undermine us. They were gone out of my yeah. head. And I went on this mad solo run down the pitch, running mad, 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 mad. And RTE showed this, but the music in the background was this tune. And they then showed a whole load of goals that we scored in the season. So I went back to Inchicore after the programme, went to a pub, the, <laughs> excuse me, McDowell's. And when I got in the door of the pub, everyone in the pub went running along the same thing that I had done the previous night in, Inch, in, the, in Dundalk. In the, they hadn't got the music to do, but they did the actions. So ever after that, became yeah. so a, we'll have a listen to this, this is children. children now you'll have a completely different perspective on this tune from now on <laughs> so it was uh, the album was called dreamland yes 
And I was in Dreamland. <laughs> and was for a good while after that. And it was, I used to play it often when I was going to games, yeah. play the album, and whenever I had kids in the car, yeah. I used to play it. And they associated it with the same thing. Yeah. So it was, it was a good day, but it was a good, it was, it was a great album. Unfortunately, he's another he's, one on my yeah. list who passed away. He passed <laughs> yeah. away in 2017. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bit, it's, yeah, but look, that's that's how it goes, I suppose, musicians yeah. as well. I mean. And we're going to go back to, to Dublin now um, for your next choice. And it, it's sort of, again, it, it, it's maybe an unusual choice. Maybe people would think it'd be unusual. It's Bell X1, and it's a recent Bell X1 track as well. So it's Take Your Sweet Time is the song. But it has a particular resonance, I know, for, for you. And again, we played a little, we'll maybe you just say something about it and then we play a little bit of it as well. Yeah, this song is, uh, I like, I really like Alex One. I like Paul Noonan. I think he, yeah. he's, he's a lovely, great bloke, Dave Garrity. Uh, he's a lovely, lovely uh, songwriter in his own, his own way. And his uh, solo albums are brilliant. But Paul, Paul Noonan, I I'm actually uh, was involved in a charity thing a few years back and I was... I had to manage this team in a, it was a kind of a half gaff half soccer match and Paul Noonan was one of the players I was given and I, I, I was I was kind of nearly overcome about the idea of trying to do something with him because yeah. I only had this image of a bloke on the stage playing songs I liked and loved but he was he was exactly the same in the dressing room he was so polite and, and just there was a there was a there's a glow from him there's a glow of uh, there's a presence about him and he was a handy looking footballer as well but I've managed to see them up close in, in, yeah. in small venues a few times I think again some of the people here have seen them in small venues and they're a great fan, band. But this particular song I chose is um it, it, it was a story about a girl called uh, Joe Joe Millen and at 40 years of age she got her hearing she never she'd never she was never able to hear and she couldn't see either. But she she got her hearing back, she got an operation um and she got her hearing after 40 years and uh um, I have a sister Red who who's deaf, and she you know she she could never she never hear she 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 got hoop and cough when she was a kid, and at that time it was um it was an injection for the hoop and cough, and that affected her when she was a baby, and she never had the hearing, and she still hasn't got any hear, any hearing, and I I like I often think about how her, her life would have been so different if she could have got this operation, yeah. but what Paul points out in the song. There's not an awful lot of words in the song, but one particular line in it, he says, what's it like to hear music when you've never heard it before? Yeah, yeah. Like, imagine you've never heard me, and what's it like to hear running, running water? And uh, so, Take Your Sweet Time is the name of the song. So basically he's saying to her, so much stuff to catch up on, just take your sweet time. So it's, 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 it, it's a beautiful song. I mean, lots and lots of beautiful songs. But just for me, it just I you know I look at my raid, my sister, and I go, you know. Yeah. Should we take it just a little bit of that? Yeah. Just just yeah. to get a flavour yeah. for people. Yeah. I was saying to someone earlier today about how democratic music is. Do you know, like it's there for us all the time, and you don't have to be, you know, we can listen to music on headphones or in the car or at home, but it's it's only if you can. Do you know? Isn't that like the like, and even just listen to the way you talk about music, about how 
you know, it's like part, it's, it's in completely engulfed in the, the, the football and every bit of your life. And you think, but it is that great gift we have, isn't it? And you, and we do take the ability just to hear it for granted, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think that song, for me, encapsulates, you know, how we take that for granted. Yeah. And that song kind of to identify that, that what, what you're missing. We, we just take it and we take joy from it. It's one of those kind of, Almost loose things and things that we don't like. Oh, you can pay a few quid for Spotify. Yeah, we yeah, used to yeah. buy our albums and buy CDs, but but it's all there for you if you don't want to do that. Even unless you're, you're under the Taliban regime and, and there's no music allowed, yeah. uh, and it's just you know to 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 cure your to cure your your humor, whatever it is, where you can pick what you want, whatever music you want, yeah. whether you want it to be calm, whether you want it to induce sleep, whether you want to cheer you up when you want to lose the head yeah. and go with a bit of uh, heavy rock. And, you know, uh, I used to rock myself to sleep when I was a kid, listen to music, yeah. you know, like just rocking yeah. um, um, to help me sleep. But whatever, whatever, you, I mean, you think... Uh, yeah, it's look. It's you know. There's other things I suppose are, are worse uh, not to have, yeah. not to have the ability to hear yeah. anything, yeah. and not to hear music and the beautiful, beautiful sounds across the, across the board of music. I mean, we're, exactly, only, yeah. we're only scrapping on exactly. a few bits. Yeah, yeah. like bit, yeah. there's a few bits of pop nearly that I like. You know, yeah. but it goes back. It's like what, it, but it's like every bit of music you've picked. Has has a resonance for you, like you know, it's it's an important part of something that happened. Either whether you run up and down the touchline because you beat the best team in the world, I'm just pointing that out, you know. So, or whether it's you know, do you know, do you know, and I think that that shows. Like, like again, we it's not it's, it's sometimes I think we do take the music for granted, in more general terms. When you think actually, it's a huge part. We accept it as a huge part of, of our lives without even thinking about it. Yeah, well, you know, but I think, uh, you know, our culture is that if we think back on our family hist histories, like if I go back in my family history, we weren't particularly that we were brought up in a, in a culture of, say, Irish traditional music, yeah. as many people in Ireland are, many people around the Galway area might have been. We weren't, but we were brought up, as I mentioned, Lonnie Lonigan earlier on, and all rock and roll records in the house and stuff like that. I can remember seeing you know, the gramophone in the house and, yeah. and, and the buttons and, and trying to tune in whatever it was, Radio Luxembourg and, and, and vinyl records and being there and it kind of appeared to be nearly at the start and Bill Haley stuff. But, you know, I don't, but what I, I remember, I mentioned me, my dad's eight brothers and, and, and linking things, you know, I'm linking them into sport because it's my life, I'm linking them into work. But I, I like my, I, my earliest memories of my my mum and dad would have been uh, an a, the, a reunion of the eight brothers and the eight wives. At that time, they only had one wife each. And the eight, so there was the eight men and the eight wives and a few of the kids in London in around um, 61, Christmas 61. Now, I was in the pram at the time, right? Uh, <laughs> but I, 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 my Uncle Davy brought me to see Fulham against Manchester United. I remember that as clear <laughs> as the day today. Uh, queuing up outside in the snow to get in. It was a Stephen's day and you, you could pay in yeah. the styles. And I, I can remember that. And, I, and a fellow went by in a, a Bentley and he said to me, you see him? Oh, I said, yes. He said, 
that's Johnny Haynes, and he's the highest paid player in England. He's getting a hundred pound a week. Yeah. He's the captain of England, yeah. right? And we are standing. I never forget it to this day. But what I remember uh, as much as that was the mall sitting around in the room drinking bottles of Guinness and the piano being played, and I have tapes of that at home, right. of song, and I don't know who was singing the songs. Yeah. I know my ma wouldn't certainly be singing, my dad probably sang, but the, but they were all, the, every, the singers were being called mm. and singing, and that's the tradition in Ireland, that tradition of music and celebration and parties or wakes or celebration of someone's life and funerals. And, and then it's a celebration. We're missing out on it all. We're missing the festivals. We're missing the opportunities like this. The missing I got, you know, got to the play today. It was just amazing to get to the play today, to get to see medicine. It was just an amazing play, amazing to be in the theatre. And how much we've all missed those events. But the event and the music that was in the event today. But we, you know, we, we it's very hard to survive without that. Like some of us who are mad and extreme and obsessed by sports, you say, what do we do without matches? There was no matches for six months last year. <laughs> but imagine how music could be. Yeah. So we have to have it. We just yeah. have to have it. Yeah. And we're nearly, we're wrapping it up now. We've only a couple left. And I suppose that the... the the next one is it, it's a, it's a follow-on, I suppose, from that because it's Phil in it or Phil Line it, whichever you know. But he's a local boy for you, and yeah. you know, and um, and it, it coming back again to about singing from a place and singing from experience and and it's it's it's, it's solo Phil. It's not with the band either. So yeah, well, look, you know, Phil. Um, this is probably is someone says. Sometimes I've had to say what's your favourite song of all time, and I'd say this song because it's from my place. But he also he lived not far away yeah. me, and he knocked about. I, I saw him. You know, I used to see him when I was a young fella. There wasn't many black young fellas around. Funny enough, there wasn't. Uh, the first day I went to school, I sat beside the only black fella in the school. Um, in St. Michael's in Inchicore. I don't know why for the first day that was my choice. Um, I think it was maybe because my dad had a couple of black boxers on his boxing team in Trinity College and I liked them. And this lad maybe represented that. Michael Senior was his name. He lived down the bottom of the Galtimore Road, actually. But he, uh, he, I, I, Philo and um, like Paul McGrath, probably became the first two uh, black, famous, appreciated, respected Irish people. Yeah. And it's taken a long, long time for us to get there and to get to where we were this week with the international team, with three black players playing the team and have been our best players, three yeah. young yeah. black Irish lads. Yeah. Uh, that's taken a long time. You know, and it's something that you know upsets me attitudes at times. So I, when I was manager of the Irish team, uh, I inherited. Oh, inherited is the wrong word, but I, I, we used to pick players. I always picked them based on the best players, irrespective. You know. Um, of of where they were from, they used to people used to think there was an anti-country bias. That was mm. a dub bias event, and I was I was I was anti-dub. But my attitude told that I wanted to encourage the game outside Dublin. But in terms of the English lads, as were English-born lads, and when we had some of the black lads, I actually had Paul McGrath's young fella played for me, and I I don't mind telling the story. I haven't. I don't think I told this story in in the public. Uh, 
forum before, but I wanted to pick Paul's um, son to play for us. And I was told he had no passport and we applied for a passport for him. We were having trouble getting the passport because he wasn't born. But Paul hadn't been born in Ireland and there was paperwork, paperwork difficulties. And I remember <laughs> um, making the slight threat in terms of saying, imagine if the passport office refuses as a passport for Paul McGrath's son, because his dad, who could be the president of Ireland after Michael <laughs> Day or before Michael Day or after anyone, it could, and they'd refuse it. It was just madness and I had to get strong about it. But anyway, it, it was something that I felt, but go back to Philo, how difficult it must have been for him and someone, you know, and his mom, and for Paul, and Paul has talked about that. We didn't hear too much of Philo talking about it. But around our way, he was known, and the bands that, you know, he was involved in Skid Row. He was involved in the band called The Orphanage, and he used to be playing in places local local to me. I was never brave enough to, to go to them, places like The Core and down at John of God's near the Phoenix Park and a few other places. But I would have been, I'd have been afraid to go near them. I'd have been afraid of the girls and places like that, you know. But I was aware of the music and the mayor of the bands and, and then the first times I saw him was in a place called the Universal Folk Club in on uh, Parnell Square just beside where the Sinn Féin used to have their offices and the 36 bus used to go to Ballymun because they used to get that out to walk out in the UCD had a place out there anyway it was downstairs down it down it and and the, on a, I think it was a, a Tuesday night mm. and it was acoustic sets and Philo came in one night and he was, at this stage he was on the up, you know, but he was on the up as the rocker yeah. and he came in and he played an acoustic set and it was just beautiful and he was just a star, he was just looked apart. Anyway, i tell you a story and this is a true story. I met him, uh, I didn't, like I knew him when I was a young fella. Uh, I didn't know him. Like, I, you knew him around the area. I saw him. I used to run the teams in Crumlin. But I was in, uh, I was managing the team uh, for the Irish Technical Colleges. Um, and we were playing uh, away in Germany. Uh, I'll tell you when it was exactly. It was 82. Because earlier that week, we played Northern Ireland in the playoff to get to European finals with the Irish U team. And Norman Whiteside played against us for Northern Ireland, he was only 16 and he went on to play at the World Cup in the summer for Northern Ireland 82 yeah. in Spain. Anyway, we, uh, I had to delay my trip with my team because I had to stay for the Tuesday night match and I went the next day. But I was coming home after a match in Germany, I had to come home by myself for a separate flight in the team. And when I was going to the airport, the morning, I was a couple of hours to spare and I went out, drifting around, found a record shop and I bought an album, bought a... Um, um, I bought a, an album by um, Reggae Man, uh, Bob Marley. Bob Marley, Bob Marley yeah. album. And I had it under my arm because you couldn't stick it in your bag. It was the old yeah, one. Yeah. And I had it. And I got to the airport and I saw a fellow in Hamburg Airport and he had a green Irish jersey on him. You know the old one with the, real, the shamrock, yeah, the yeah. real job, like with the white collar and that. <laughs> and he had it and I said, James, I'm going to have a go here. <laughs> I was getting brave at this stage. I was a bit older. And I went over and I asked him, would you sign the album? Yeah. So I have an album at home, a signed Bob Marley album, signed by Phil Linda. Can you believe that? So always a hero of mine and I just I lo and I love the soft stuff yeah. I love the rocker stuff but I loved but the album the solo and solo album yeah, yeah. and, and this, this is from 1982 as well so we'll just play a little bit of this as well then the old Covent Garden 
You're singing along. Ah, oh, what a song, sure. You can't, <laughs> you can't, can't see, you can't, yeah, the video was in yeah, your head, yeah. the places, <laughs> I know all the places and the spots, it was just a yeah. fabulous song, fabulous, fabulous person, just a pity yeah. it went, you went yeah. too early too. And your last one, your last choice, it kind of follows on, we talked a little bit about this on the phone the other day, and we were saying about whether, you know, which one to put last, and you said you wanted this one last. And it's a it's it's a very modern song, and it's it's modern. It reflects modern Ireland as well. It's it's Dennis Chela from Limerick, well, Zambia and Limerick, you know. And um, I was talking again. We were talking to someone earlier. She picked a slightly different song in it, and how this really talented young woman uh, is making such like such a, such a splash, and she's. Um, such a distinctive voice. It's a bit like the Phil Linnett thing. I mean, does this, she just shines star quality. It yeah. just shines straight out of her, you know. And I was, talk, was talking to Philip King last week and he'd filmed her in the okay. gallery, in the National Gallery. Yeah. And he was saying they did it as, it was one, because it was live, obviously they couldn't stop and if there was a mistake and go again because it was been streamed live. And he said, as soon as they turned the cameras on, he said, the camera followed her. Said she just. He said you you couldn't take your eyes off her, and he said she was just such a star for the night. You know. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I've seen yeah. with her. Um, I've seen those videos, and it's just extraordinary. And I've listened to her EP, and I just think as a representation again of the new Ireland. But she's such a, a, a clever, educated person, and her use of words and her message, and how she puts it across but also the, you can I can I can you, you get a sense of pain and frustration from yeah. her in relation to having to having to answer out and talk back like and explain explain the pronunciation of your name and, yeah. and so on you know and and, and 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 I think that's good because it has an effect I mean I've worked hard at, at trying to get um our centre half's name right this week on the television, and I probably didn't get yeah, it, get yeah. get it right, you know. And it should, I've got a responsibility to yeah, make yeah. to make to make him, you know, as easy for me to say uh, as Daryl Murphy, you know. So uh, it's it's uh, I I, lo I like I love the tune, I love her freshness, I love uh, her passion, and I, I just think she's a star. And um, I think she's a good representation of of the influence of of um, black people are going to have on Irish music in the future. I mean, I know Galway has always been very open and uh, welcoming for people from different backgrounds and communities and cultures and and so on. Not all the country has, and uh, I, I I just hope that in the years to come, that society can embrace the opportunity yeah. we have now to make it as good as possible for yeah. everybody. And from a music point of view, to embrace the influence yeah. that, that people like Philo have had yeah. on our music and have had such respect. And that Paul McGrath, now the young, and, and Clinton Morrison, when I, you know, I, I Clinton and, and Stephen Reid, when I had the senior international team. And I, I remember being very conscious from their point of view, <laughs> that there was probably a bit of abuse flying around, but it was pre a lot of the mobile stuff, mobile phone yeah. stuff and social media. But I used to get a fair bit of 
letters with flack in them, you know, awful stuff, I, I, abusive stuff, and I didn't talk about it or tell anyone about it. But, you know, I, I used to get ferocious state because I recruited uh, Chris Uton as my assistant. He was the first black player ever to play for Ireland. Yeah. And I had uh, another one of the staff, Adam Books, was a masseur, physiotherapist, f fantastic fella. But I knew that the black players we had in the team appreciated that. I didn't do it because that. I, I did it because they were the best the people best, I yeah, could get. Yeah, but yeah. I also thought that the staff should represent the players, yeah. should represent the mix of the players. Yeah. And that was good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think that's where, where we're going. I think uh, whether it's in music or whether it's in, in, in sport or whether it's in business or whether it's in life and the arts, and the, you know, we've got a great opportunity to to take take from it and they give a bit and but but take a bit yeah. but i think denise chyla is, uh, yeah. is, is, is a nice way to yeah. end this up i hope people like it yeah so we'll play out a wee bit of this then yeah it's a great way to finish brian so the center half's name is Obama daily <laughs> i didn't want to say it before i heard that <laughs> Listen, brian thanks so much it's been it's been a great great it's been a blast talking to you about this and i really really appreciate this so Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Kerr. Thank you. Thanks so much. That was great. Lovely.